Do you remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on On ACB Radio Radio Mainstream. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International, Tuesday at 10 p.m. on ACB Radio Main or wherever you get your podcasts. Someday we'll find it the rainbow connection the lovers the dreamers and me well welcome to pride connection Blind Pride International's weekly radio show on ACB Radio Mainstream. I am one of your three co-hosts, Anthony Corona. Joining me as always is Gabriel lopez Cafati, our wonderful president. Hey everyone, welcome back. And of course we have Leah Gardner, our beautiful vice president. Hey Anthony, hey Gabe. I'm Coming not beautiful, up. just FYI, I'm butch, not beautiful. Oh, <laughs> well, Leah, let me, let me, let me, let me merge those two. You're beautifully butch. Ooh. I don't, I, let's not, no, no beautiful. I'm butch. Okay, okay, okay. Beautiful well. high heels and dresses and skirts. No, thank you. No, 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 no. Beautiful comes in every shape, every color, every... Uh, yeah, I, smell I don't like the word. That aren't beautiful. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, this evening we have a very, very special treat. One of our members is joining us to talk about his brand new memoir and his Amazon Prime digital series, Old Dog and New Tricks, and some of his wonderful political activism. But we'll get to that in a moment. First, Gabe, your president's message. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for putting me on the spotlight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, as always, it is a pleasure to bring this um, connection, Pride Connection, to you guys here on ACB Radio. Um, we, we are so delighted to create the space and provide so many channels for our greater ACB family to connect and mingle and learn and interact with us. Um, uh, I have to say uh, that we are so, so grateful to uh, Debbie Hazelton and Jason Castingway for their amazing support in putting this together. Uh, Tim Cummins, our editor, uh, <laughs> honorary. Um, you guys Absolutely. are phenomenal. You rock. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it, it is an honor for us as a BPI to have this spot here on ACB Radio every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. I know we repeat on Wednesday and Sunday, but please tune in. Reach out to us if you have any ideas, if you want to co-host someday, if you want to be a guest on our show. Uh, this is for everyone, and we just love to mingle, connect, and have fun while we do that. In the spirit of that statement, we will be having an open Zoom conversation with Leon. Uh, if you're listening to this Tuesday, it'll be tomorrow night. Um, and so the things that we can't say on radio, we will definitely be able to say <laughs> in our open question and answer portion tomorrow night. So with that being said, old dogs, new tricks, celebrity, a memoir, multiple film roles, theater, growing up in the Midwest, transitioning out to San Francisco, this man, one of our newest members and a staunch supporter, is our guest this evening, Leon Acourt. Say hello. Hello. Boy, and by, <laughs> you can call me beautiful if you want. See, Anthony, you're, you're, you need to relocate those adjectives. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you need to transition that. Butch is beautiful, if you ask me. Leon, by the time this airs, the book will have been out for a week. Why now? Why the book? Why the rush to get it out? Well, originally, you know, it was scheduled for June. um, I'm hoping it's a breezy, kind of lightweight read, and I thought it'd be great for summer. You know, when all of this started happening, about the first week, Lawrence, my husband, and kind of my co-conspirator and all things entertainment. We kind of like that, you know, you just put the book on hold. I mean, this is not the time to be trying to release anything or promote anything. It's just about, you know, getting through. And so that, that was, that lasted for about a week. And then, you know, people were stuck at home and I had so much time on my hands. And I thought, you know, maybe we should go ahead and just uh, rush the ebook out. People could buy the ebook without going to a bookstore or without, you know, adding to the workload of warehouse workers or delivery drivers. It would be a totally, literally clean transaction. You know, they could get it in their computer without even connecting with another human being, which seems to be the trend these days. So um, after talking it over with a few people, um, they're like, yeah, maybe you should go ahead with the ebook. And that very next morning, um, the LA Times, I was looking and it was talking about how uh, uh, ebooks are just kind of exploding as a result of all of this. So I thought, okay, well, let's, let's, let's get this out. Let's get the, the actual paperback out in June or July or August or whenever it's feasible to do it. A memoir is like so non-essential. I, I don't, literally, I, it would have to be, I really want this thing to be somewhat under control before I submit this to a printing press. I want people, you know, getting sick on a job just to running my bad dates, my bad auditions, but, you know, so that's- Mule races. Yeah, mule races. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's right. I left that in, didn't I? Um, you did. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of like, let's, let's rush it out now, give folks a, a chance to, you know, something to, to read while they're stuck at home. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but there's only so many Netflix and Amazon shows I can mm-hmm. finish before I start to glaze over. I also, I'm finding- and I don't know, you guys tell me if this is happening to you. I'm finding it really hard lately 
to focus on movies. I'll like start watching and then I just find myself in my head and I'm like, oh wait, 10 minutes, what, rewind, what did I miss? What, 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 what? Are you guys having that problem too when you try to zone out? Not yeah. so much the, the focusing, but um, um, Anthony and I haven't been watching many movies since, since the shelter in place. We've been watching more um, series, but what I do find uh, difficult is to get to that point where I said, okay, let's watch another episode right now. A couple of you know, weeks ago, we, we, we were watching, uh, season, what is it that we started? Season four of Grace and Frankie. And I love Grace and Frankie, but it's one of the, um, uh, one of, it, it's, it's the schedule that, that's when to watch things. Um, yeah. Anthony and I were, we're watching some of your episodes, Old Dog, New, Old Dog, New Trick, and uh, enjoyed it, laughed a lot. Uh, oh, thank you. Probably what I'm guessing in my case is that it's, it's, it's some form of undiagnosed ADD or ADH that we have so much time and so much electronic disposition that the, the menu is so big that you end up not watching yeah. anything. But at least we have it. I mean, you know, yeah. we have this technology to get us through this period. Oh, Can you imagine 50 or 60 years ago? I, I mean, yeah. where it would have been so much more difficult to maybe have three television channels. You guys cannot be possibly that old to remember the the, the national anthem and the, oh yeah when really? i was when i was a kid yes uh basically all the local stations went off the air at midnight and then yeah. uh till about five or six a.m uh, i'm not that old leon <laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> it was a joke because it is true i do not remember that but it, that's because i did not grow up here in the states i was originally uh. born and raised in honduras but ah. I do remember in Honduras, actually, it was 11.30. Uh, or, or Yeah, or either 11.30 or yes. <laughs> they pushed it up to midnight when you would, yeah, they would play the national anthem, yeah. Tell us about the mule race. <laughs> no, the mule race. Uh, I always have to preface whenever I talk about mules because people hear mule and they think donkey. They think hee-haw, the hee-haw, hee-haw, which they do make that kind of funny noise. But mules are actually a hybrid of horses and donkeys, and they're actually amazing animals they're um they're as fast and strong as horses but they, they don't have that skittishness like a lot of horses have like a horse you know they see like a piece of i don't know piece of rubber on the, the road and they like you know they think it's a snake or something mules are they don't have that kind of that uh diva mentality um so you can, <laughs> they'll go off mountains you can take them across creeks they go this way i mean they're just the best I mean, I love horses, but you haven't lived till you've ridden a mule. Well, they're rugged and they're sturdy. You wouldn't call them beautiful, right? They're sturdy. <laughs> Leah Gardner, you have to say. Well, no, I would say they were beautiful, but that's, that's because they are strong, and I think that's beautiful. So, um, <laughs> Sturdy, rugged animals. Sturdy, rugged. They are butch. Durable. Mules are definitely butch, Durable. which is probably why people find it so funny to think of me on top of one, maybe. I don't know. The book, you were talking about attention span earlier, and I have to say, um, the promotional copy that you, that you sent me says that it's 206 pages, and I am at 138 in, what is it, three days? Um, I am absolutely loving the style, the witty, the open rawness about it. So I'm wondering, 
Were there any cringe-worthy moments when you started to edit it once you put it out there and said, or or is there stuff on the cutting room floor that, you know, we're not going to get in the book? Oh, there's tons of stuff on the cutting room floor. I, I, <laughs> I kind of wrote it the same way I wrote the series, which is like, I just write everything. We call the first draft the vomit draft, where you just put everything down that you think you might remotely be interested in. And then really, the longest part of writing a book was rewriting and cutting and restructuring and deciding again, as you said, you know, hey, do I want people to know that? Do I? Actually, it wasn't so much that, because I mean, there's some stuff in there that, um, you know, I, I kind of realized my mom's going to be reading this. Was I usually doing Cruel Summer? I don't know. You have to be honest when you write one of these books. Ultimately, the thing, the criteria that I used when I was rewriting and trying to like decide what to keep and what to cut was A, the book's about being a gay actor. So if the story wasn't about being an actor or about being gay or being a gay actor, maybe you should cut it. And the other criteria was, if it was a story or information about a particular movie or a play, the question was, okay, if someone did not see this movie, would this still be interesting? And if the question was no, then I, I cut it out. I also didn't include like family dramas and medical stuff and, um, for example, I debated a lot about whether to write about my, my uh, I have some retina issues with what attracted me to joining your group. But I decided just to leave that out because that could be a whole other book all on its own. And oh, I, tell me about it. And I, again, I wanted this book to be kind of a breezy, fun read. And I, I, I'm not sure I'm a good enough writer to make Vision Lost that funny. So um, that may be another book. I'm curious about something though. In this in this book, you you write about other people, correct? That that yes. are. How do you make a decision when you are writing a memoir when you're including other people that were part of your experiences? What to what is safe to put in about other people and what what isn't? Like the uh, ex girlfriend. Naming <laughs> <laughs> names gives a lot of power. That Olivia is not her real name, and I have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. A lot name. of pseudonyms. Yeah, pretty much in terms of my family, the criteria was: is it my story or theirs? Mm -hmm. You know, like um, like every family, my family had like stuff happen, and um, writing about my childhood, I had to like, you know, is that my story or is that really my parents story and when it was their story it's like no that's not that's not my story to tell maybe someday a hundred years from now when it passed maybe i can write some of those stories but i, I that was really the biggest criteria as for the rest it was basically am i going to get sued or not and <laughs> <laughs> if the answer is yes well then we're going to we'll slap a fake name and uh, tell the story anyway <laughs> Well, one of the beautiful things that I, that I see in the book, and I follow you, obviously, you know that you follow us, and you're yeah. very great to BPI. Thank you for that. Uh, is your relationship with your dad? And yeah. you know, I, I, I'm a little more than halfway through the book. I can't wait to see you know more of that genesis. You told um, a story about a letter that he wrote you that I felt like, oh my god, I have oh a moment god. like that with my dad. And um, you know, how did you? when you were you know when you were writing all that a was it cathartic and b how did you decide what to put in and what you know what stayed on the cutting room floor i kind of wrote it i didn't write it chronologically when i first started it's kind of like let's write about cindy brady okay now let's write about hard and stone oh let's write about putting together old dogs so it was kind of like when i had chapters and then it was kind of like okay let's 
put these chapters in order and then kind of tie it together so it feels like it's one piece instead of a bunch of choppy essays. So some of the stuff kind of every so often I'd have a chunk that just didn't fit, you know, chronologically or just it just felt like it was sticking out. I tended to cut those. Um, I guess it was more overall by about the seventh or eighth draft of just wanting it to feel like it had momentum and that it just kept you reading as opposed to, oh, by the way, let me stop this story to throw in this bit. That's one of the reasons I use so many footnotes because I, I, in real life, I'm, I'm so awful about like stopping a story to tell another story and then forgetting where I was with the first story. And then, so <laughs> I had to control that quite a bit. I just feel like I just did it verbally what I was saying I was trying not to do in writing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the question? It's <laughs> it, it, Anthony says all the time, I digress. That, well, that was that an example. My, I should have that on a t-shirt because that's <laughs> No, 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 because that's going to be the title of my memoir. I digress. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but I you know, I saw on Facebook that you um you wished you could celebrate with an ice cream cake the genesis of of the relationship with your dad is beautiful i had a very very similar experience my dad wanted and i played baseball all through college but my dad wanted a much more butch son yeah. um we we didn't relate for in in my case my niece came along um my sister ended up having a child very early on and my dad and i kind of took the dad role and that brought us together. And, and I, I can't wait to finish the book to see more of a little bit of that relationship. But has he read the book? And, you know, it was it cathartic to kind of go back and go through all that and celebrate where you guys are now? He has not. He, um, he, he barely knows how to take a picture on his phone. So I'm not <laughs> <laughs> an e-book might just be a bit too much. I did, my uh, niece actually designed the cover for the book. And um, about three weeks ago, we were chatting on Facebook. She's like, oh, dad's here, or your or grandpa's here. My dad, her grandpa. I'm like, oh, oh, he's, he's flipping through yours. <laughs> he's flipping through your book. Charlotte, get that away from me. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Since then, he did tell me he read about the first 10 pages. And um, I just spoke to him yesterday, and he actually called me Bunky when we hung up, which was his nickname for me when I was a kid, but he hasn't called me in a while. I think he's okay with it. Actually, I can't wait for you to get to the final chapter because that does all kind of tie up both the showbiz thing, the family stuff, the gay thing. I had something happen last summer. Um, I had a, a film festival in my hometown, home state of Indiana. Uh, yeah. Honored Old Dogs and New Tricks. And I had a totally different ending plan for the book. But I was like, okay, well, let's hold off and see what happens here. That might be and boy, is it the perfect last chapter. That's all I'm going to say. You'll have to hmm. see why it all kind of just all tied it all up. Well, I haven't gotten to it yet, but I know Leah wanted to ask. You mentioned Cindy Brady earlier. Mm -hmm. Leah? <laughs> Here's a story. I understand that you had some, you had some interactions with uh, Miss Family Values. Uh, yes. Cindy Brady yeah, we that are depicted in this book. Then yeah, she, <laughs> um, after the election, but before the inauguration, um, actually a really good friend of mine, Sheena Metal, 
who's um, a radio host with LA Talk Radio. She had her own show, The Sheena Metal Experience. She had me and the cast of the Old Dogs on many, many times. A really good friend, great supporter. She also hosted a, another a political talk show on the same station called Two Chicks Talking Politics. <laughs> her and um, Cindy Brady were co-hosts. Sheena is very new agey and she's very liberal and um, and Cindy is not. Anyway, I got a call from Sheena two weeks after the election saying she's finding it impossible to book any guests on the show since the election. And since I was such a big fat loudmouth on Facebook about all, would I be brave enough to come on the show? And so I, I said, yes, God, boy, was that a mistake? Did the show. She's just as crazy as you if go. If you go on her Facebook page, that's 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 her. During the course of the show, this, the crap that came out of her mouth, you, it was, it's impossible to be a patriot if you're a liberal, that um, all Muslims, wow. Muslims want Americans dead, that it's in the current, that it's a political track, that that's part of the religion is to kill everyone who's not a Muslim. Um, uh, denying that Trump had made fun of that disabled reporter. when It's, it's documented it's on video. I mean, this just went on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. on. At one point, I got up and stormed out, and she nearly back, so I sat down and got through it. And just, you know, I could have left it alone. I could have just left it at that, couldn't I? No, not me. Um, <laughs> Good for you. I felt really guilty about it, and I just I couldn't figure out why. I played Quentin Crisp a couple of times, and he has this thing, he calls it taking a journey to the interior, which is basically leaning in deep inside and figuring out why you feel a certain way or why you did a certain thing. And I realized that I felt guilty that I had helped normalize the craziness by just engaging it. Um, like in the book, I talk about how in the old days you would say, I'm not going to dignify that comment with the response. Well, mm-hmm. I dignified that whole insanity by being involved with it. So I posted on Facebook a message that I, I really didn't think would go anywhere just saying that i thought it was irresponsible to allow her to be a host on a radio show and that she was spreading dangerous misinformation and that i i, I just would not do any more shows on that radio station unless they got rid of her i never thought they would fire her i never thought it would get any even i didn't think i'd get a response from the station which i didn't at first and then um i went to bed thinking okay well i've I've cleared my guilty conscience. I've done what I could. Well, I woke up the next morning to a message from Miss Brady. <laughs> oh, God. Um, how much language am I allowed to use on this program? <laughs> Let's just say the message was full of language, including the P word, the C word, and, and then more than one threat. And, and then also on her Facebook page, she was encouraging her fans to seek me out, and they were. I had like about... Amazing. Some of those messages are in the book, by the way. I finally actually respond to some of them. But um, yeah, so it was a week of. I, I took her message, I did a screen capture and, and tagged the radio station again saying, you know, this, this is the language coming from this person. Is this someone you want to have as a host on your on your station? They fired her and that just made it just an even bigger S storm. I'll keep my language clean here. <laughs> And um, it, it was the most bizarre week of my life. Ironically, like two weeks later, it was like completely forgotten. Was she hired by some kind of ultra conservative outlet? She might have. I'm kind of like yeah, not she, really paid attention. I know she, yeah. did, she went on sort of a little PR blitz shortly after it happened. And she was interviewed by Brett Bart and 
<laughs> they had lovely things to say about me too. I don't know the whole overall experience. I'm, I, I'm, I guess I'm glad I did what I did because I felt like it had to be done. But if I had to do it over again, I just wouldn't have done it at all. I wouldn't have done the show. Well, I, what strikes me though about the conservative media figures and I guess political figures too is they they really can dish it out about people. Oh yeah, they can insult people. They mm -hmm. can. They can criminalize people, but when it comes to people actually defending themselves <clears throat> and responding, they cannot, they can't have a rational conversation. They immediately no. jump to, to insults defense and insults. Yes. Yeah. That's true. That, I, I say in the book, you know, she could have responded to my initial complaint with, I'm sorry, you had a bad experience. Yes. On our show, we fill that blah, blah, blah. I apologize. Well, not even an apology. She should have just said, you know, that's how we play on the show. She could have had any number of responses other than calling me a... <laughs> Thank you for that. Quotes <laughs> from her, yeah, by the book. They're all in there. But you know, one of the things that, um, that is, is that, I, that I feel that uh, people have not yet quantified uh, as far as the harm that our nation is uh, suffering, and this is my personal view, is the normalization of things. Mm -hmm. Because I, I've, I, growing up in a different country, I always grew up looking up at America. Oh yeah. my God, the United States of America. Uh, of, beacon, of course, freedom of, of speech. Democracy. Yeah, the, the beacon, and not only that, but the freedom of speech, but, but the office of, of the White House, which was such a decor, was such a, like, we were all in awe in Latin America to look up mm -hmm. at the White House. And now we have someone in that White House who is actually re recurred to name calling mm -hmm. and making fun of uh, even physical traits of people or even gender, making fun of women, making fun of disabled people, making fun of sexual orientation. And, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the highest leader of this country is doing it, then obviously all of these people, like this lady, are, are feeling entitled to do it. You know, I really think that's why they defend him so with such fervor. And this is my opinion. This, and it, I could very well be wrong, but my personal opinion is that these people have seen the their worst behavior, their basest instincts reflected mm -hmm. in the president, you know, and it gives them permission to be racist. Yep. Yes. Well, he's given, yeah, he's given permission. permission for decor, for any kind of filter or decorum to vanish. I felt horrible. I would not want yeah. to be a parent for this. Can you imagine trying to explain to your children, well, it's okay for the president to say that, but honey, you, you really shouldn't. I can't yes. imagine that what the generation of kids who are like just now, like six or seven or eight in 20 years, what that generation is going to be like. It's, it's a little frightening, actually. I hope they, um, I hope they react in the exact reverse as opposed to embracing it. But God, God only knows what we're going to see. I mean, this is my dad and I, every time we talk, and it always comes back to my dad, is just, <laughs> we're going to be living with this for the next 20 to 40 years, the, the residue. We always pride and, and we and we sustain that here at BPI, we are an open space, free of judgment. And, you know, we're, this is not about politics. This is not about right, right versus left or this is not about conservatism versus liberalism. It's just a, about, you know, 
decency and, and the way we, we talk yeah. about others and the way we express yeah. our points of view, even if they're different, we, we welcome and we embrace diversity and, and thank God for the difference of opinion, but just how you say it and how you come across and how you deal with the dignity of others who do not think like you is what's at stake here. Well, there was a time though when there was a difference between political discourse and, and different viewpoints and that and personal insults or attacks. That, that mm -hmm. is all bleeding together now. I remember when, when John McCain was running for, uh, uh, the, he had the Republican presidential nomination in 2008. He was running against Barack Obama, but there mm -hmm. was a woman at one of McCain's rallies who started spouting a lot of racist nonsense mm -hmm. about Obama. Yeah. And he said, ma'am, I want you to stop. You know, he said, I want you to stop right there. I respect Barack Obama. We have differing political views, but I have nothing but respect for the man. And that's, that's not allowed here. Oh, um, I'll never yeah. forget driving home on election night and listening to McCain's concession speech and him saying, yeah. oh, I, I just called Obama to concede and his, his crowd started to boo. And him well. stopping them and saying, "You, no, this is an historic night. We've elected our first black president. This is not something you need to boo about. I right. thought that was the most incredible. I'm getting chills just recalling that. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah, decent. Yes. I mean, you may not agree with his, his political philosophies, but he was a decent human yeah. being. I mean, just a superhero between his, yeah. his, war, his uh, military service, his, his political service. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Republican hater by any stretch of the imagination, but it's very easy to be interpreted on in today's environment, given how loudmouth I am sometimes. Like I said, growing up outside of this nation, I've always admired this country and, and the fiber of America is, is, is one that is experiencing a little bit of a tear right now, but it's, it's not going to be permanent. We'll, we'll go back to normal. One thing I always want to throw up or throw out. <laughs> Very different image. <laughs> yes. uh, America's never been perfect. I mean, America has no problems. It's about the ideal. If we can't even keep that ideal, you know, it's like religion. You can't, you cannot live a sin-free life. A sin-free mm -hmm. life is the ideal that you shoot for, knowing that you'll never reach it. And my feeling about democracy and, and, and liberty is kind of the same. We're never going to have a perfect democracy, but if we don't shoot for it and try for it and fight for it, what chance do we have mm -hmm. of even coming close to getting it? Speaking of Facebook and putting things out there, you are putting out an episode a day of Old Dogs. It's a beacon in the darkness. It's a beacon in the, oh. the insanity of us having to, you know, shelter in place and put masks and gloves on if we're going to leave our homes. And I know that you are working hard to get the final season. What do you, got, what do you want to tell our listeners about Old Dogs? why they should check it out and how they can help you get a third season, uh, a third season, I'm sorry, a final season out there. Well, you know, we're kind of, we do have a fundraising campaign up, but we're, we've, we've put that on hold. And I have to say, you know, I was thinking the other day, but what happens when, if and when we do raise the money and this kind of calms down, how do you write, how would old dogs 
exist in this new reality when you can't get, I mean, it was a sex comedy. How do you write a sex comedy when people mm. can't? Would you like an exclusive announcement about old dogs? This is absolutely. Right now. You are the first to hear this. We are working right now. You said you're a fan of uh, Grace and Frankie, right? Yes, Grace. yes, we are. <laughs> you watched their table read via Zoom a couple weeks ago? No, no I missed no. that. I didn't even. They did a, um, the cast of uh, Grace and Frankie did a table read of one of their episodes via Zoom. Huh. Wow. And so we're talking to the cast. Everyone in the old Bucks cast is, is a definitive go. We're working on, um, we're going to do a Zoom table read of three unproduced episodes of Old Dogs, probably mid-May. Oh, terrific. Uh, Lauren nice. Lauren is like scrambling to, to, to get up to speed with <laughs> Zoom technology now. And um, I've been so busy with the book, I haven't really been able to to help him much but yeah that's going to happen sometime in may and we'll you know well it'll be all over facebook once we get it locked down mm -hmm. but um we just i was so inspired when this all started seeing you know musicians doing live concerts at home and people uh mm -hmm. patrick toured with his, his um uh soliloquies and stuff i was just like you know what can we do what can we do to you know give people stuff again you can only binge on amazon god love you amazon but you know some variety <laughs> So yeah, we thought, well, we can post these episodes every day. And then we did, Lawrence and I were watching the Grace and Frankie thing. And we're like, we could do that. Let's do that. So mm -hmm. we're, we're going to do that. Look forward to that. I want to talk to Amazon too, because once we do it, I'm going to see if we can somehow load it onto Amazon as an episode. So the people who don't get to see it when it's happening live can still tune in to see it. We'll see. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That'd be fun to That'd work be cool. produce some laughter amongst all this. And that. We all love laughter. We all need laughter. Yes, At this laugh. moment, yeah. <laughs> what is that line? Leah. Magnolia's laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. <laughs> Leon, I'm always the one apparently bringing this topic because I'm obsessed. I, I have to admit it. I, I probably have to have to go into some sort of analyzing myself. <laughs> I have an upset. I have an obsession. How did you come up with the name? <laughs> yeah, I have an obsession with names, names because I love writing and 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 you know producing and material and um I'm 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 fascinated with the name Old Dogs New Tricks. Oh, <laughs> we had a couple names. Let's see. When I was first writing it, I was calling it Silver Foxes. Which is the link? <laughs> okay. It's like in Golden Girl, Silver Fox. I don't know. And everyone I yeah. told is they're like, "Oh, you've got to change that name. That really stinks." <laughs> um, actually, what led to Old Dogs and New Tricks? I was after about the hundredth person said, "Oh, Silver Foxes stinks." I was brainstorming and thinking, "Okay, it should be something that's kind of you know self-deprecating." But and then I there was a TV movie a while back called These Old Broads with Joan Collins and. <laughs> And Liz Taylor and Debbie Reynolds. And oh, I, my God. I love that. Do you? It's one of yes. my guilty yes. I'm a Me huge Joe Collins fan. I love that movie <laughs> as bad as it is. And Carrie Fisher. I mean, come on. She wrote it. So it's not all bad. Mm -hmm. But um, I thought these old bras, well, old dogs. And I don't you guys are probably too young to know this, but my generation back in the day, we didn't use the phrase hookup. We used the term trick. Did trick. you trick last oh, night? Oh, sure. The old dogs new tricks although now i wish i had called it between 40 and death you know the line from <laughs> Muslim buddies from <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love that one too yeah death in a title for comedy maybe not, not a good mm -hmm. idea well while we're on the topic of names can you give them the full title of celebrity and give us a little 
uh, insight as to why you went with that title. Certainly. It is called, I always like to, to pronounce the hyphen, sub-liberty. It's not celebrity because I am not <laughs> a celebrity. I am a sub-liberty. The subtitle is called The Queer Life of a Showbiz Footnote. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> the reason I called it celebrity is like in the early days of Old Dogs and New Tricks, there was a reviewer who referred to me as a sub-celebrity, and I could tell from his tone it wasn't a compliment. But um, I decided <laughs> I'm all about taking words, taking the power from words like queer and, you know, making them work for you. So I thought, you know, hey, it's yeah. better sub-liberty than a no-liberty, so I'm just going to... I'm going You know, I had a couple other names, too. I, I thought about calling it the um, Confessions of a Rapidly Aging Former Pretty Boy, or... <laughs> there's, there's a line from... Rapidly a, Aging Former Pretty Boy. There's a Neil Simon, uh, Neil Simon play called um, The Gingerbread Lady, and there's a line in there, I'm the oldest goddamn newcomer in show business. That was only... <laughs> But I thought, God damn, it might be hard to get on a book cover. So we went with sub-liberty. I have to note, my mind goes places with that sub-liberty. Sub <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I thought of, oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. See, see, I'm so naive sometimes. That didn't even occur to me. Sub-liberty. Oh, God. So your journey has taken you from Midwest. Yep through San Francisco in the glory early 80s to producing and creating your own digital series and now a memoir. What's next for Leon? Oh, that's a good question. Let's see. Um, no, I'm thinking about writing the book has, was really, I don't know if fun is the right word, but I really enjoyed it. So I, I, I'm really, and as I get older and less photogenic, I'm thinking really <laughs> probably focus more on writing and less on acting. In fact, I'm thinking about maybe writing a series of old dogs novels. Because mm. Ooh. we could do and say all sorts of things in a novel we couldn't do on a TV mm -hmm. series. As for the immediate future, I think I just, once I get this book out, I'm going to just take a break and maybe fly to Indiana once that's doable and spend an extended time with my family. Bring your dad a belated ice cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to see them. It's, it's, that's the, I, and you know, like everyone must be going through this with um, elderly parents. I mean, I, mine are 2000 miles away, so I'm not tempted to, to give in, but it must be really hard to be, in the same city with elderly parents and have to like see them through windows or something. I, I just, um, yeah. I mean, thank God for that. I mean, I can't, I just, I really feel for these people. I remember when I was single living in San Francisco and, you know, my family was in Indiana. I had friends in San Francisco, but uh, I lived by myself. I can't imagine these people who are living alone right now. And, and uh, I just, that's one of the reasons I was posting episodes and, you know, <laughs> it's all this, Getting the book out, because I really can't. I would be going nuts if I didn't have my husband entertain me and get on my nerves. Speaking of the wonderful Lawrence, was there anything in the book that surprised him or that made you think, wait, should I put this all out there? That's a really good question. Um, at first, he wasn't too crazy reading about my first boyfriend, Eric. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> 
after the fact, after he is, he's, he's met Eric, he, he and Eric are actually friends on Facebook. Um, but after he, you know, got through that section, he, he said he was really touched by it and really moved him the way it kind of, uh, we went from boyfriends to being good friends. Um, I think that was it. I think he was a little, he wasn't so much concerned from his own standpoint, but he, there's a chapter called Cruel Summer. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. He was like, are you sure you want to put all that? Because that, that was probably, that's probably the most harrowing chapter. I, I would consider the comic, the, the memoir to be a comic memoir, except for that chapter. That chapter, again, I'm not a good enough writer to make that stuff funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little concerned. It was just basically, you know, people are going to be asking you about the contents of that chapter, just so you know, are you okay with talking about that? And yeah, I am helped form me that summer was a very um it's not like i sit around thinking about it all the time but it was very you know i think in life you have just certain short periods of life that really kind of inform your entirety your complete being and that's that particular summer boy did that do it for me in rapid succession you had trauma you had you know emotional turmoil you had so i mean for for you not to for you not to have that piece, I think it would it would be a flaw in the narrative, so to speak. You know, I think so too. I think people would be like, "Oh, it's so funny!" Now suddenly he's happened. <laughs> he didn't tell us because he was so full of vim and vigor before all this. Um, again, when you write a book like this, you, you, you have to tell the truth. I mean, there were a couple times, like in the very early drafts, where I'm like. No, leave that in. No, cut that out. Just because it's, you want it to be honest, but you don't want to like, you know, oh, aren't I great? No, you don't want to put that in the book because half the time you're not so great. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, uh, that's what I recommend to anyone, whether you want to publish it or not, to write your life story because you learn so much mm-hmm. about yourself. I, like I, I never really realized before that I used to have a pattern of expecting drama and when none presented itself, I would just create some drama just because that I'm so used to operating in that kind of mindset of tension, stress. You know, that's that's how I was used to, you know, from, a, you know, growing up with some family friction and then the stuff from that summer. I kind of had it in my head that that's what life always was, that, you know, you always was going to have some some tragedy about to befall you and it really took me a long time to kind of shake that off and it wasn't really till i wrote the book that i kind of went wow i did kind of walk around a long time with that cloud kind of over my head so yeah write your books i wanted to ask um when anthony mentioned your 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 trajectory from midwest passing through passing through san francisco and and we were talking earlier before before we started with the program here would you share a couple of thoughts of w- the similarities that you see between San Francisco and the 80s uh, in the gay community and now what's going on with not only the gay community, but the entire community? That's going to take some thought. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, the similarities, you know, one of the biggest similarities that I'm seeing that's infuriating, uh, that similarity to the early days of the AIDS crisis was this disbelief. I'm, mm-hmm. I can't believe mm-hmm. we're people on the Florida beaches. I can't believe we're seeing so mm-hmm. people in Michigan and Minnesota in these protests. I can't, just much like how I couldn't believe in the 80s when people, oh, it's, it's, that's not, it's, 
not true or it's only you get it from poppers or you get it from you know like nobody listening to the the science of it and that mm -hmm. is the most striking similarity right now is that um probably eventually the even more striking similarity will be the number of funerals we'll all be invited yeah. to. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's to me right now, that's the thing that sticks in my crawl the most is like, why aren't you all terrified? Don't you all have mm -hmm. dead parents that you're afraid of infecting? Don't you all have people in your lives with suppressed immune systems or different conditions that you could very well kill them? There's nothing I would not love more than to take advantage of a $35 airfare and fly home this minute to see my family, but I know that I would probably <laughs> be coming up on the airplane. You mm -hmm. know, why do people not think like this? It's like, do they think they're invulnerable? I don't know. Thanks, thanks for that insight, Leon. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, AIDS took was, I mean, it was more than 10 years, but it felt for me, it was really like from 85 to 95 was really the period before the adjustment period. And I'm really hoping it's not going to take 10 years because if it takes 10 years for people to adjust to this, there's not well, an economy to, to there'll, there'll be yeah. a vaccine before that, but it's yeah. a matter how many people are going to needlessly die. And also, because to me, the worst aspect of this particular virus is how easy it is to pass it on to other people. Yes. And you can Thank be asymptomatic you, and have no idea yeah. that you even are carrying yeah. it. And so fast in two weeks. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> you yeah. know. Yeah. It's I was I was analyzing the, the kind of similarities and, and, and differences uh, between, you know, the HIV AIDS epidemic at the beginning of the eighties and, and what we're living now. And yeah, that's that's one of the scary things that, you know, HIV AIDS was the HIV virus was transmitted through blood stream, but this COVID nineteen is transmitted almost almost just by touching something, yeah, that yeah. someone else touched, or even breathing the same air. And I live in so LA. I have constant air conditioning, and I'm really concerned about you know because it sticks to metal so well, grows well yeah. in wet environments. The, the air conditioning in this town, I mean, it's almost like Vegas. Every single building in LA mm -hmm. has an air conditioning going on, and mm -hmm. it does give me pause about what the summer is going to be whenever i find myself kind of freaking out i have to just give myself the same advice i give some of my friends and that is literally one day at a time wake up in the morning yeah you have mm -hmm. enough food in the fridge to get you through the day all your all your friends and family are alive and well and healthy yeah. okay you check one day off and don't think any further than that right now because mm -hmm. it really you is, can't you'll drive yourself yeah. crazy yeah. trying to figure out what's going to happen next you mentioned a moment ago, and that's what brought you to BPI, that you developed a retinal condition. Ah. Uh, just to just to follow up on what Anthony was asking you in terms of what's next for for Leon Acord, have you have you how have you coped? Uh, has has this retinal situation slowed you down or made you readjust or? Oh, readjust. Well, let me tell you what it is. First of all. Um, this was like in 2003 or 2004. I started noticing like when I was watching TV, if I closed my left eye, left eye, the TV screen looked kind of brownish. I and mean, I just figured, because I had really good vision up to that point. I just thought, oh, well, that's, I'm getting older. I was like 30, well, I guess pushing 40, I guess. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this is just, you know, what happens when you get older. And then a few weeks later, I was walking downtown San Francisco and I looked up and I noticed one of the skyscrapers looked like it was bulging. So mm -hmm. I like, Closed my right eye and it was straight. I closed my left eye and it looked like two two flights. <laughs> the, the building were sticking out. So I 
called my eye doctor and she got me in that afternoon and it was like one of the most chilling experiences of my life she like i told her what was happening she stuck her thing in my eye without another word to me she slid back in her chair turned around picked up the phone called an ophthalmologist and said i have an emergency situation with a patient can you see someone today i'm like explained that um, i had a vein behind my right retina had sprung a leak the blood that was coming out of the vein was pushing against the retina, which was causing the curvature of my vision. Uh, oh, it gets better. <laughs> I went to the ophthalmologist, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is, it was literally right in the center of my retina, in the center of my vision in my right eye. He thought it was better to hit it with the strongest possible gun possible, so he used a hot laser, which left me with a huge blind spot right in the middle of my eye. But it didn't stop the leak. So, uh, yeah, if I had to do that again, I think I'd go with a cold laser because uh, after that, we did like about eight or nine cold lasers and then it finally sealed up the leak. Like, if I close my left eye and put my thumb right up in front of my face, I, I don't see a thumb. I have a blind spot right in the middle of my right eye. It's funny, too, because, you know, before this, I, I was like most people. I thought, oh, well, when a person's blind, they just see blackness. No, 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 no. That, that, mm -hmm. The brain is so interesting how it fills in what it thinks. The color. Uh -huh. Yes. That's called visual memory. Visual and I love it. <laughs> that was the most fascinating because I thought when it's a blind spot, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be blind. I'm just going to have this big black hole in the middle of my nose. <laughs> and it's funny how my vision has actually improved since then in my other eye like i actually have 2020 vision and actually it's better than 2020 i think it was, it was in my good eye but it was you know it was scary for, for the first about the first two or three weeks through the the first doctor's appointment the first hot laser the first couple of cold lasers it was a really scary time i i i it just gives me so much um appreciation and just admiration for people who really have true vision challenges and how they face them you've joined the right place well i i the thing about your organization you know it's one thing if you're straight and you have kids and grandkids and you know god forbid if you lose your vision or you need help you you can guilt trip your kids or your grandkids into helping and although that has changed for gay people somewhat in the past few generations a lot of us older people we don't have kids to guilt trip and to take care of us when we're old so I think the fact that your organization just exists to, if nothing else, is kind of a, a information clearinghouse, I think is, is wonderful. I, I was yeah. very relieved to, to learn of your organization. And, and our parent organization, you know, we, we, we all follow the same philosophy when it comes to blindness or vision losses. Um, you know, there, there are many ways of, you know, be, being independent and, and getting over it and, and you know, doing things you know there's so much technology nowadays and there's so yeah. many things and techniques that you learn and, and then you just learn to cope with it and then we become successful and uh productive members of society with nothing less i have one more tough question for you well yeah i'm going to preface this by saying you know when i came out i had a lot of confusion a lot of interesting segues let's call them in my journey almost anybody that's listening to this probably knows my story i lost my eyesight four years ago and i found that i had to come out all over again and one of one of the things that really struck me in in the book that i've read so far and, and again i can't wait to get to the end of it to see how it all comes out but you talk pretty candidly 
about your internalized homophobia. And I realized, you know, I, I had some of that when I was coming out and, and it was a, a, a very hard thing for me to come to terms with. Mm. And then boom, I turn 40, I lose my eyesight and I have this shame that I later learned that it came, I needed to grieve the eyesight in the first place. And also it came out of that and fear. But I was wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about when you came to, you know, when you came to realize that and, and putting it in the book and the cathartic process of it all and where you are now. Because I, I really thank you for putting that out there the way you have. Um, I think we all have some internalized homophobia. I think it's conditioned into us from birth. I, hopefully each subsequent generation will have less and less of that to process. Mm-hmm. As I mean, I still find myself kind of at times recognizing it. I think one of the great things about the trans movement is, is the fact that it, it really frees all of us from gender roles, you know? We can be where in between the two roles or a combination of both. I don't know if you've gotten to this point in the book, but I had worked with the director, Jeffrey Hartgraves, and we had a discussion once about how we both felt uncomfortable using the word man to describe ourselves. We felt like guys calling ourselves a man just didn't feel right. And I think that's one of the great things about the trans movement is that we can be exactly who we are. You don't have to fill that box or fill in that box. So um, anytime I find myself kind of like reacting negatively and I kind of like go, oh, there's that there's that old Indiana boy popping up again. It's like, no, 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 this is good. A great piece of advice was given to me when I first moved to San Francisco by uh, Gil Block. He was one of the sisters of perpetual indulgence. I remember asking him when I first met him, aren't you doing a disservice? I mean, you're like dressing up as nuns in drag. I mean, don't you think that's going to piss people off? And, you know, piss them off towards gay people. And his argument was that you need extremes on both ends to get to a middle. Mm. And I think that's something I've kind of always stuck with me. So whenever I find myself kind of like, going, oh, how faggy or oh, too femme or oh, too this or too that. I was like, no, you need that. You need that person so I can be the person I am here. Because, I mean, some people would say I'm not anywhere near the middle of the road. That's where I think I am. You know, the more extreme they are there, and sadly, the more extreme they are, even to the right, you know, it helps us find the middle the middle of the road. That's how kind of how I deal with my, whenever homophobia kind of pops up now, I remind myself, no, you're, they're doing you a favor, Leon. Be grateful for people who have the courage and the guts to be exactly who they are, because it allows you to be exactly who you are. Well, if you are listening to this Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, Leon has graciously agreed to an open Zoom for some question and answer and to continue these great topics of conversation. And you will be able to get that link on our BPI page and I will be sending it out. Before you go, Leon, do you want to tell everybody where they can find the book, where they can find Old Dog's New Tricks, and where they can find you? Absolutely. You know, I should have had, I'm so out of practice with doing talk shows. I usually have a list of all my links and sites. Um, they can find the book at um, Amazon.com and it's Sub Liberty with a hyphen, S-U-B. Or just their friend name, Leon Acord, A-C-O-R-D, and it should pop up. Um, they can watch Old Dogs and New Tricks at Amazon Prime Video. 
just uh, when you search for that, use the ampersand, old dogs and new tricks. Otherwise, you get a bunch of cat videos, I think, and dog videos. You can follow me at leonacord.com or on Facebook, Leon Acord. I'm, uh, let's see, I'm on Twitter again. I actually went back to Twitter. I'm Sub Liberty Leon. I'm all over Instagram. Just follow Leon Acord on Instagram. And again, it's one C L E O N A C O R D. I just want to point out the book is available in Kindle edition, yes. correct? Okay. Because yes, most blind people can't just order a book from Amazon unless it's oh, downloadable. So, you know, that's, just... Kindle is definitely a, um, an accessible portal. So yeah. I just wanted to make sure people were aware that they can. Uh, they can look that up if they have the the Kindle app or easily install the Kindle app to and I'm a to read it. For the whole Kindle ebook thing, and I'm thrilled to see that it actually has a reader. So I mean, I, I assume that means that you know it's like a reader where it's like a voice that will read it. I'm going to do an audio book. Yeah, yeah, it, it does have Kindle a text to speech function. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We oh, look forward for to the open me. conversation. Yes, thank you. This was a and lot of fun. Absolutely. You know, we'll keep you in the loop, Leon, because Absolutely. you are a BPI member and we're proud to have you. Absolutely. And, you know, once we can all travel again, maybe we can all meet in person and um, yes. go back to uh, Phoenix in 2021. That's where convention is going to be. Cool. That's just a hop and a, a jump from here. Paper than an airplane these days. So <laughs> make plans. Our, our, con our conventions are famous. And, yeah, we could do and and, and and you're speaking with the right people here because you have the bulk of the um, planning committee, uh, including <laughs> Leah, who's our chair. <laughs> Leah is our convention chair. All right, uh, well. so, and, and we have so much energy bottled up because we couldn't uh, make our convention happen this I year. Because of, well, I know. Well, the It'll be nice when it's an in-person convention again. Yeah. So yeah. 2021, make plans to attend. It's the first. Uh, we'll keep you posted because I think we're going towards it. But it's at the beginning of July, cool. 2021. Perfect yeah. timing. Go home, see my parents, fly back. There you go. That would be great. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure talking to you all. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate the chance to um, tell people about my book. I really appreciate it. And, you know, you asked for the Q&A session. Ask me anything. Oh. Nothing's, nothing's, <laughs> nothing's off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have a great night, everyone. Thank you for listening to Pride Connection on ACB Radio. We're here every Tuesday night at 10. Again on Wednesday at 10 a.m. And twice on Sundays. We will see you slash hear you next week. Thank you for listening to the show. We'd like to invite you to send any comments, questions, or just join our conversation. Email us at membership at blindlgbtpride.org. That's membership at blindlgbtpride.org. And join our conversation. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to blindlgbtpride.org. They will find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers.